you guys doing today? Awesome. I'm Holly, and I am part of the staff team here. If you are here at our 57th campus, we are so glad you're here. If you're joining us, our Embrace family that's joining us online or at our Sertoma, our St. Croix, or our T campus, we are so glad you guys are here as well. Now, something that you guys need to know about me is I'm an 80s girl, um, and uh, I grew up on Cabbage Patch dolls. I grew up on Garbage Pail Kids, L.A. Gear, Side Ponytails. Can anybody relate? I mean, Embraces. <laughs> Very young, but I know there's a few of us that thought Charles in Charge was the best after-school show ever. <laughs> so I, I, this series is right up my alley. I am loving it, except for I do have one small complaint, and I want to see if some of you agree. Do you think that this series has been a little overwhelmed with testosterone? I mean, I think we had Back to the Future, and then we had E.T., right? And then we had Gremlins last week. So I feel like being a female up here, I have to do my due, due diligence and bring a little estrogen to this series. So, so have no fear. Today we are going to talk about one of the greatest chick flicks of all times, Ghost. Two things you got to know about Ghost, okay? Number one, if you're getting technical, it came out in 1990, okay? So here's the deal. It was filmed in 1989, so I feel like it counts. And plus, Patrick Swayze. I mean, who would not bend the rules a little bit for Patrick Swayze, right? Okay, thank you. All the ladies agree. Okay, the second thing you need to know, if you have never seen Ghost, is that Patrick Swayze, his name is Sam. He's married to Molly. He's actually killed in the very first scene of the movie. So the entire movie, Molly is grieving the death of her husband, but her husband is desperately trying to convince her that although she can't see him, that he's still there, that he hasn't left her even though he's dead. So with that being said, let's check this out. Just don't believe in his life. I'll tell her she's wrong. She's wrong. You're talking to him right now. Yes, you just asked me to tell you that you were wrong. So where is he? I can't see him. I can only hear him. I'm right here. That doesn't help, Sam. I'm holding her hand. He says he's holding my hand. What are you doing? What do you think you're doing to me? Hey, look, if you think I'd come all the way down here for my health, you're out of your mind. Sam's dead, okay? He's dead. Tell her I love her. He says he loves you. <sighs> Sam would never say that. Ditto, tell her ditto. 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 Totally worth bending the rules for. <laughs> right? Okay, so you may be asking, what does that have to do with our message today? Well, we're going to get to that in just a few minutes, but I need you to remember one word. What word do you think that is? Ditto. That's right. Okay, remember that because we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. <clears throat> now, how many of you would say that you enjoy traveling? Maybe you like backpacking and camping. Maybe you like first class and, and five-star hotels. How many like that route? 
How many of you are like me and you wish you could afford first class in five-star hotels? Instead, you drive to mom's house. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Uh, but I do enjoy traveling. And, and a few years ago, I decided that I was going to take a little trip and I was going to go visit my mom uh, alone with just myself and my three kids. Now, at the time, my, at the time I hadn't even got there yet, my kids were four, two, and three months old. Now, to get to my mom was about a four-hour plane flight followed by about a six-hour drive. I lived in Miami. She lived in Nebraska. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to do this. It's going to be no big deal. Now, obviously, I must have just come home from a successful grocery run with all three of the babies because I don't know where that sense of independence came from. And I don't know why I thought that that was going to be no big deal. It was the worst trip of my entire life. In fact, I did something that I promised myself as a mother I was never going to do. And in fact, I was talking to someone after the last service in the lobby, and she said, I don't even think that's legal anymore in 2018. I was like, oh. Well, in 2008, it was still legal to put leashes on your children. And so in order to get, yes, yeah, so there we go, just less dogs, more kids. And so in order to get my kids on the airplane, I put leashes on them, even with the leashes. By the time I got on that airplane, y'all, I was a ball of stress. I mean, I was so tied up in knots. I will never forget the, the feeling of impending doom when they shut the door to that aircraft. Because this is what I thought in my head. I said, Holly, this is going to be like childbirth. This is going to be just like labor. You know how it is, ladies, if you've had a child before? Like about five minutes in, you have this feeling that there is no way out of this thing. The only way out is to just finish the dang thing. There's nothing left to do. There's nothing to do but simply survive. That's how I felt when the door to that aircraft shut. <laughs> and in fact, there was this lady that was sitting across the aisle from me. And I really do feel guilty now that I'm older and, and realize what it's like to be in the airplane with uh, families with young children. But <laughs> at that time, this lady, she just was so mad at me she could spit. She was just angry that I would even attempt this. I mean, the side eye that she gave me two hours straight side eye coming right at me the whole time. Every move we made, every cracker my kids wanted open, packages, she was so angry. Well, about two hours in, my boys, who were four and two, they had to pee. And so they started to fuss because they had to pee. Well, I was up a creek without a paddle <laughs> because I did not think about that. And so I have a three-month-old in my arms. I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old have to pee. They're still at the stage where they need help pulling their pants down. They need help aiming. I mean, this is not going to work. <laughs> and, and, and I knew that I needed help. But I was really afraid of the lady with the side eye, you know. And so I'm sitting there and I'm contemplating, how in the world am I going to do this? And then it just hit me. I mean, I just had this thought and like confidence just flooded with me, flooded through me. And I looked at this lady, I stared her straight in the eye and I just had this thought. I said, listen, Linda, you can either be a part of the problem or you can be a part of the solution. And it is very lucky for you that I still believe in the good of mankind. And I think you want to be a part of this solution. You just forgot to tell your face. I don't know where that thought came from. But man, as soon as I had it, I reached across the aisle and I was like, excuse me, excuse me, ma'am, ma'am. And she looks at me and, 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 I, and I just said, ma'am, would you like to hold this beautiful baby girl so I can go take these two cute little boys to the bathroom? And her face said disgust, but her arms went like this. So it was kind of like, 
Well, I don't care. The second those arms came up, I dropped that bad boy in her arms, and I just took off. I took off, and I took my boys to the bathroom, and, man, we spent as long as we could. I mean, as long as you can possibly spend in an airplane bathroom chilling. That's what we did. And so we were in that bathroom. We came back about 20 minutes later, and she had totally bonded with my daughter. I mean, she held her the entire rest of the plane flight. I know. Isn't that sweet? But the flight was still horrible. I mean, that was like one small piece of it, but it was still terrible. And so while I was at my mom's house on this trip, y'all, I cried every morning. I cried every single morning. You know why? Because I knew I was going to have to do that all over again in order to get home. I mean, literally, I would call my husband like, I don't know what to do. I think, we're gonna, I think I'm going to have to leave you because I can't get home. I got to wait till the kids are teenagers to come back. I mean, I had no idea how I was going to do this. And, 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 and it, would, it would be like comparable to having, having a baby seven days apart. I mean, that's the reason God makes pregnancy ten months long. Because mama's got to give her courage to do that stuff again, you know? It's crazy. And so, so, so I, I, I felt so down and out because I knew there's no way I can do this. Because on that plane, I had never felt more stuck. More like there is just nothing to do, nowhere to go, but simply survive this situation. And have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way in something so much more serious than traveling with toddlers? Have you ever felt like there's not possibly enough money that I could save? There's not a, a, a class that I could take? There's not a habit that I could quit doing that could fix the situation that I'm in? You know what it feels like to feel stuck? Maybe you have a bill that's overdue and you have no way of paying that. Or maybe false rumors have been spread about you. Maybe somebody posted something awful about you and people are believing the worst. Maybe a spouse has told you that the relationship is over. You know what it feels like just to feel stuck? If you feel that way today or if you felt that way in the past, I believe today will encourage you. But more than that, I want you to know that you're not alone. That many of us have felt that way. And in fact, we're going to read today about a group of people who felt this way. So if you have your Bibles, would you open them up to Exodus chapter 13? While you guys are turning, I'm going to um, just give us a brief recap on what's going on in history at this moment. You see, the nation of Israel, they had served as slaves to the country of Egypt for about 400 years. After which, God works on Israel's behalf, and Egypt reluctantly decides that they are going to let Israel go free. They're going to let them leave their land to go find their personal freedom and their national independence. Well, when Israel left, man, the Bible tells us that they jetted out of Egypt. And when they left Egypt, they were following God to a very special land, a land that God had chosen just from them. Sometimes you'll hear this referred to as the promised land. In our own personal lives, this is a picture of our own personal purpose or our destiny or our calling. It's coming to a place in our life where we have discovered exactly what it is that God has created us to do. And we are living that out. That what, that's what it means when you come to your promised land. And so Israel is following God to this special land. And the coolest thing happens for Israel. If you have your Bibles, look with me at Exodus chapter 13. In verse 21, it says that the Lord went ahead of them. And he guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Now, this is like the real life version of asking God to write something in the clouds for you, and He actually does it. I mean, Israel had their own cloud. This cloud went in front of them, and it showed them each and every step that they were to take. Don't you wish you had that? I mean, don't you wish that you could just ask God, Am I moving on the right path in this faith journey? 
And you could just see this cloud and say, yeah, you're going. You're in the right direction. I mean, don't you wish you could say, God, do I, do I take this job or do I take this job? Well, which one is the cloud hovering over? That one. Take that one. God, do I have another kid or is three enough? Well, the cloud is over the basket full of dirty laundry, so that's a definite no. Three is enough. Stick with three. Right? Don't you wish you had that? That cloud would have been awesome. And that's what Israel had. They had this guide right in front of them. And as long as they followed that guide, they could rest assured that they were on the path to their purpose. And I want you to see where this cloud leads Israel. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses, order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Belzephon. Now, the two words in there that are difficult to pronounce, Pi'ahiroth and Belzephon, those are actually mountains. So this cloud leads, leads Israel essentially right into a valley that has a mountain range on its left, a mountain range on its right, and the Red Sea is directly in front of them. Okay? Now, all the while, Egypt is closely watching Israel because they're angry, because they've got second thoughts about letting them go free, because they want their free labor back. So when they see Israel walk right into what appears to be a cornered situation, they decide, you know what, this is our chance. This is our chance. We're going to seize them. We are going to recapture them, and we're going to get our free labor back. So what I want us to imagine is what Israel would have felt in that moment. Mountain range on the right, mountain range on the left, Red Sea in front of you. And your enemy is coming up behind you. Your enemy that is stronger, that is more powerful, that is more experienced, that is bigger than you. They are stampeding towards you. They were stuck. Nowhere to go and nothing to do to fix the situation that they were in. They were stuck. If you're familiar with the story, you know that God steps in. And he does a miraculous thing here and he rescues Israel. But what we assume is that this moment, this moment of feeling completely and utterly stuck, it was just that. It was just a moment. You know, they look back, they see their enemy coming, they panic, they cry out to Moses, Moses prays, Moses holds his rod out, the sea parts, Israel crosses, Egypt is drowned, it's, oh, it's all over. An hour, two, three, four tops, and the whole situation is done. But the question that I have for us today is what do we do? When that moment in our lives isn't just a moment. What happens when that moment is a month? Or maybe it's a year or it's two years. I mean, it's like somebody hits pause on one of the worst scenes of our life. I mean, we, we love people to hit pause, right? We wish we could make time stand still when things are going amazing. But who wants to hit pause when it's one of the most terrifying moments of your life? But would you agree with me that this happens sometimes? Sometimes this happens. Sometimes the doctor says, I'm sorry, we've done everything we can. We've given them all the chemo that we can. There's nothing more that can be done, but we don't have, an, we don't have a clue how long your dad's going to take, how long your dad's going to have. What does that do? Life paused. I have a friend right now whose husband said, I'm not coming home. I don't want to be married to you, but I have no intentions of filing for divorce anytime soon. Pause. Maybe you're, you're wrapped with guilt and regret to the point of being paralyzed by your own guilt. You've apologized, but they've made it very clear. They will never forgive you. Life paused. 
I remember my husband and I went through some extreme financial difficulty several years ago. The foreclosure had been started. The bankruptcy was underway. But then we got the letter that the, that the court date was nine months away. Life paused. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, sometimes the only comfort in moments like that is knowing that God is with me, that he has not left me to survive this alone. I want to look up and I want to see a sign that God is here right now. You know what? I want a cloud. I want a cloud. Have you ever prayed that, God, I need a sign from you? I need to know that you are here. Essentially what we're asking God for is we're asking for the manifested presence of God. I know that can sound different or churchy to you, but simply, what that simply means, because God himself, he's everywhere at all times, right? But the manifested presence of God, when we're asking for that cloud, what we are asking for is the physical evidence or a felt experience that makes it clear and obvious that God is here right now. That's what that cloud was for Israel. But that cloud can be different things for us. Sometimes that can be a friend who calls out of the blue and just says, you know what, I just had this really strong sense to give you a ring and tell you that you are going to make it. You're stronger than you think you are. Or maybe that cloud could be a stranger who, who pays for a cup of coffee for you. And for them, it's just five bucks. But to you, it is this strong sense of God telling you that I've got your finances under control. Or maybe, maybe you had a cloud moment earlier in worship today. Maybe while you were singing, you, you had a sense of courage or confidence that rose up inside of you that you didn't have yesterday. Now you're ready to face your Monday. The manifested presence of God, sometimes it comes in, in a timely word, sometimes it comes with an act of kindness, but it's something you experience inside of you that assures you that God is with you. And surely as Israel was standing in that moment, and their enemy was stampeding towards them. Surely they just look up and see that cloud, right? And just be assured, God's here. Don't freak out. There's our cloud. He's here. I want to show you something. In Exodus 14 and verse 19, it says, that then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, he moved to the rear of the camp. Listen to this. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. Wait. Wait. The cloud now leaves and goes behind them. So what they had always come to look for as God's assurance, what they'd get out of their tent in the morning, they look ahead and they know if that cloud's there, if that cloud's in front of us, it's guiding us, it's telling us we're going in the right direction. They get out of their tent that morning, the cloud's gone. Wait, just when you think things can't be worse, the cloud disappears? Are you kidding me? You're still grieving, but the friends quit calling. You're standing in worship, and the songs that used to minister to your heart are now just words going in one ear and out the next. You are so panicked inside that you couldn't possibly hear a word from God. You can't possibly receive from him. And if you're like me, you start to think the worst case scenario in moments like that. I must have followed God wrong. I must have misstepped somewhere. I must have taken the wrong path. And now I'm doomed. Now I'm doomed for, for, for the business to fail. Now I'm doomed for divorce. Or maybe sometimes you think that God is punishing you. Can't see his presence. Maybe he's punishing me for something I did five years ago. And see, in a moment when we need God's assurance the most, 
we suddenly begin to feel at odds with God because we start focusing on our own unfaithfulness to him. So, so, so see this. See if, if, do any of you guys follow the same train of thought? I don't see God's presence. I've been unfaithful to him. God must now be against me, and that's why I'm in this moment. That's why I'm in this stuck moment. That's why someone hit pause on this moment. And now I am doomed. And I can assure you guys all of this, and I've learned this the hard way, that when we focus on our unfaithfulness rather than God's faithfulness, anxiety will always ensue. It will always ensue. But what we so easily forget is that Israel is just like us. They're just people following God, trying to do this thing, trying to do this faith journey, trying to do this life. And they trip and they fall and they get back up and they trust God and then they don't trust God and they fall and then they get back up. They're doing the same thing we are. But guess what? God led them to this moment. He did not punish them to put them here. They did not trip themselves into this. God led them to this moment. We so easily forget that he led them here. He took them to this moment of feeling trapped. He took them to this moment. And just because the manifested presence of God, just because his presence had shifted in their life, God had never left them. And it's a little bit like Sam and Molly in the clip that we just watched. What word did I ask you guys to remember? Ditto. Who can forget ditto? Okay, so when Sam told Molly ditto, you know what he was saying? He's saying, Molly, I didn't leave you alone. I'm still here. I'm still that same person. It's just different now. It's going to be a little bit different, but you're not going to have to survive this grief alone. I'm still here. And the same is true about God. He's not left you alone in your pause moment. Maybe you're asking, but why? Why would God do that to us? If he loves us so much, why in a moment of one of our greatest fears would God allow us to not see him the way we always had? I want to show you something. In Exodus 14, I'm going to pick up the second half of verse 19 and verse 20. And it says this, the pillar of the cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. So throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. So in this moment, guys, you have to see that God went from guiding Israel to protecting Israel. God went from being that cloud in front of them to now a barrier between them and their enemy. Could God have done both? Could God have both guided and protected Israel at the same time? Well, sure. Sure he could have. He's God. But have you ever thought that God cares way more about you falling in love with him and understanding his character and how much he deeply loves you more than he cares about proving his ability sometimes? Sometimes it's just about him saying, let me show you what I can do for you. See, they'd already come to know God as their guide. They knew that he was going to show them every step that he was supposed to take, they were supposed to take. But maybe in this moment, God wanted them to know him As their protector. See, sometimes we want God's guidance, but he wants us to know his protection. Sometimes when God's presence in our life shifts, it's because there's another part of his character that we've yet to know. See, my husband and I, we live on a small hobby farm. And my husband loves, loves the farm. And he is up most days, long before me. And he'll be out working on that farm, guys, sometimes like eight 10 hours before I ever even see him. And (laughs) 
I really, it's, it's humorous to me because I have no idea what, what he's doing out there. Because if I'm being really honest, we have no crops and we have no animals. The only reason it's, <laughs> it's true, the only reason it's called a farm is because the people before us owned it and that's how they listed it. And they were farmers, not us. And so I think last time I spoke to you guys, I told you we had two chickens out of 28 left. Yeah, no, they're gone. Um, so nothing. We have, we, have, we have no animals, no crops, but we have a farm. My husband loves working on it. He's out there all the time. And sometimes he's out there for so long, I find myself wondering, did he just leave? Like, did he just go somewhere and not tell me? Is he gone? But you know how I know that Chris is on the farm? I know he's on the farm because of his red truck. See, Chris drives this red truck, and uh, I can see where he parks his car from my office window. And so as long as I look out my window and I see his red truck, I may not know where on the farm Chris is, but I know he's on our farm, and I know that he's working hard preparing our farm to be a great place for our friends and our family to enjoy. But see, Chris isn't just a farmer. He's also a speaker. So sometimes he'll be out traveling uh, and for a speaking engagement, and I'll look out that window, and guess what? I don't see his truck. It's not there. How crazy, I mean, literally, how crazy of a wife would I be? You would put me on something, I know it. If I called you up and I said, Chris' truck isn't there. Oh my goodness, his truck's not there. Chris has abandoned me. He's left me. He's going to take everything from me. He's going to leave me to raise these kids alone. He's going to take every penny that we have, and I am going to be penniless, and I'm going to be left with nothing. He has abandoned me. How crazy would you think I am? No, because when Chris isn't on our farm, it's because he's providing for our family. He's securing our future. He's making sure that our kids have clothes on their backs and braces on their teeth. He's taking care of me because not only is my husband a hobby farmer, but he's also the provider for our family. He doesn't just prepare our farm. He, pro he provides for our family, and the same is true with God. Sometimes when his presence in your life shifts, it's because he wants you to understand that there are other aspects to his character that could minister to you in your stuck moment, could minister to you in your pause moment. Because you see, not only is God our healer, but did you know that he is also our comfort while we wait in our pause for our healing? Not only is God our strength when we are weak, but did you know that he is also our shelter? And sometimes out-muscling the situation is not what he has for you right now. Sometimes he simply wants you to run and find shelter in his arms. Not only is God's love for you wide, wide enough to include every man that would believe in him. Wide enough to include you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done with your life. Have we all experienced the width of God's love in our lives? Not only is his love wide, but his love is also deep. And there may be wounds inside of you today that are so deep that there's no love from a spouse, there's no love from a girlfriend, there's no drug, there's no drink that could possibly reach deep enough to touch those wounds. But God's love could. And it can reach those wounds and it can heal those hurts because maybe God wants you to understand in this moment that not only is love for you wide, but his love for you is deep. And see, sometimes we do get into situations in life where we have to pause and we have to trust and we have to wait. But in those moments, we can stand strong when we know that his presence is not dependent on our ability to see it. His presence is dependent on his ability to keep his promises. 
And did you know that his promises tell us that the Lord our God, he's the one who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor will he forsake you. His promises tell us that when we go through deep waters, I will be with you. He tells us that we can be sure of this, we can be certain of this, that I am with you always, even till the end of the age, even till the end of your stuck moment, even till the end of your pause, I am with you always. And you see, when as Christ followers, we understand that it never has been, nor ever will be, uh, God's presence never has been, dependent on our ability to see it. It's dependent on his ability to keep those promises, and he is the faithful one. He is the faithful one. And when we believe that, guys, we can look at our world and we can stand strong in paused moments. We can stand strong in stuck moments without being consumed with panic, without being overwhelmed by, with anxiety. And we can stand in moments when everybody else would have told us you should run. And you could say, no, I'm going to stand in the gap. We can stand tall when everyone else would have caved in fear. We could stand there when people would have thrown in the towel because we know that we are not alone. I may not be able to see it. I may be in a situation right now where there feels like there is, there is a mountain on my right, a mountain on my left. There is a sea in front of me, and the enemy is closing in behind me. And it may appear to me and to you like every trace of God is gone. It may feel like maybe I'm being forsaken, maybe I've been abandoned, but I know that I know that I know that his presence is dependent on his promises. And so I'm going to stand I'm going to stand strong for the people that I am believing in. I'm standing strong for those who've got to get back up on their feet. And I'm standing strong for my own personal life. Because I believe that it takes one word from God and everything in our stuck moment changes. Everything can change in one word from God. But in the meantime, there's parts of his character that maybe we don't know yet. That he wants to use to minister to our hearts and our souls in this situation. Can I just pray for you guys as we close today? God, I don't know who's here today as far as what, what, what situations, what stuck things have come in, come in through our doors. But I know that there's some of us here today that are carrying friends. Don't feel strong enough to carry somebody else, strong enough to help another person, strong enough to stand in the gap. And God, I thank you for them. I thank you for the faith that they carry in these doors. I thank you for what they bring into your house. And God, I know there's others of us that if we're being honest, we barely crawl through the doors today. God, we feel so stuck. Our situation is so overwhelming. There's nothing we can do. We have lost complete control. And God, I pray today that those hearts will be so encouraged and overwhelmed by your presence. Whether they see it today or they don't, God, I pray that they will rest in the truth that you are here, that you will not leave them, that you will not forsake them, and that their answer is coming. It takes one word from you and everything changes. To help us in the meantime to stand strong, to trust, and to wait. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.